Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Terry Martin. Hello, Texas. This is Texas Ag Today. So glad you've joined us. My name's Kerry Martin. I'm your host, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. The State House of Representatives easily passes eminent domain reform legislation. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Farmers aren't the only ones hoping for more rain in the Texas Panhandle. Our ranchers could use some, too. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. The spring sweet onion harvest has begun. The watermelon harvest will start soon. And the 2021 hurricane season, that's just around the corner. Those stories and more in today's report. We'll have those stories, plus news from Washington, Texas Wildlife News, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Wheat harvest is getting underway here in Texas, but it does not look like we have a very promising crop. We've been watching those crop condition ratings all year, and they've been showing about a third of the crop rated poor to very poor. That seems to be the case in central Texas. Doug Hemphill grows about 3,000 acres of wheat right in the center of the state in McCulloch County. Well, we're about three weeks away from harvest, and uh, it's a really pretty poor crop in general. Uh, we got off to a bad start. It didn't even germinate and come up until January the 25th, which is about two months later than it normally would for us. I wasn't even sure it would make it all, but we were lucky enough to get some rains, and it made it through the cold spell, the freezing weather we had there in February. And you would think if Hemphill's wheat survive that big February winter storm, it would be smooth sailing until harvest. But that's not the case. Mother Nature had more in store. This time it was in the form of a massive hailstorm recently. It was looking pretty good until recently it had a hailstorm that took out 700 acres, but I'll be harvesting the rest of it. It'll be a harvestable crop. It's just going to be a short crop for, for this year. That 700 acres was a total loss, and there's some damage to the 2,300 acres that survived. But he's hoping the big run-up in wheat prices can help to offset the drop in yields. It will help out. The price looks really good right now. We're just hoping that'll, that'll hold through harvest. That'll help make up some of the difference of poor yields. The bottom line, this year is a year to forget. I don't want to go through another year like this. Uh, it's not what we had planned when we started the year back you know, last fall, and we just were hoping for better. There's always next year, and that's kind of what farmers do. They always farm for next year. Wheat farmer Doug Hemphill, right in the center of the state in McCulloch County. The Texas House of Representatives has overwhelmingly approved eminent domain reform legislation. Tom Nicoletti goes to the state capitol for the details. 
House Bill 2730 was approved by the House 144 to 1. This is legislation by Representative Joe Deschotel of Beaumont. And uh, we go to Joy Davis, Texas Farm Bureau Associate Legislative Director, once again in Austin. And uh, Joy, fill us in on the latest on eminent domain uh, after it passed uh, the House. Well, this was agreed to language by landowners and the industry, oil and gas, electricity, transmission lines. Everyone came together and has worked real hard this session to finally come up with eminent domain reform language that's going to make the process more fair and transparent and better for landowners. And it still has a hurdle to cross still before it becomes law. It does. We've crossed one hurdle, but we've got many to go. It's passed what we call second reading in the House. It's still got to go through third reading, and then it's got to make its way through the Senate process. Now, we should let our listeners know that May 13th has come and gone, and that was a key date in the legislature, and that was why. Yes, any bill that hasn't passed second reading on the House floor by midnight on May 13th. It is dead in the process. It doesn't have a path forward. Now we talk about uh, truth in labeling legislation. House Bill 316 has passed the House, moving on to the Senate, while Senate Bill 1145 has passed the Senate, moved to the House. So crisscrossing in the legislature, but what does this mean about that legislation? Well, what these bills do, they're going to define what various types of meat and non-meat products are and make sure that they're labeled properly. Now, this is for meat and non-meat eaters alike, and all it's going to do is give the consumer information on what is in their product. We've had seen studies where one in four Texans have actually mistakenly bought a product thinking that had meat in it, so we want to make sure that we inform the consumer on what they're actually buying. And this involves labeling, putting tags on the meat products to describe uh, whether they're um, meat or not meat. Absolutely. It's going to allow the companies to use words like imitation or plant-based or meatless in front of terms beef, chicken, anything like that, but not let them be able to use it in fine print or not included on the front of the label. Again, making sure that we tell consumers what they're buying and what's included in the product and not trying to hide what the ingredients are. One of the reasons that it's such an important issue is because we're trying to get ahead of the technology. That is Joy Davis, Texas Farm Bureau Associate Legislative Director at the State Capitol. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Farmers aren't the only ones hoping for more rain in the Texas panhandle. Ranchers there need more, too. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. In my conversation with Texas A&M AgriLife beef cattle specialist Jason Smith, I asked him how things are looking when it comes to grazing lands around the area, and it sounds like the range of conditions out there is pretty broad. Anywhere from absolutely terrible conditions to conditions that are pretty good. And that's just a direct consequence of the variation that we've seen in rainfall uh, across the high plains. Worse affected is going to be basically the southwest quadrant of the panhandle. Probably the least affected right now or the area that's probably in the best condition would be as a whole the northeast quadrant of the panhandle. But just a tremendous amount of variation across the high plains. So as Dr. Smith described for us, a mixture of what's available to cattlemen when it comes to what their animals can graze on. Unfortunately, for those who face the need to put out supplements, some sticker shock is likely to occur. Right now, the supplemental feedstuffs are probably going to be somewhere in the vicinity of a time and a half to two times 
the cost at which we would have purchased those same feedstuffs this time last year. And Dr. Smith says with prices for supplements so high, ranchers need to do some serious thinking. Certainly encourage everyone to visit with their nutritionist about what might be the most economical option for their program. And in some situations this year, we just need to make sure that the value of gain justifies uh, the cost of added gain associated with supplementation. Certainly no easy decisions being made there. Now, switching gears, for those of you who grow wheat, AgriLife has a special event coming up on Thursday, May 20th. The High Plains Wheat Tour will be taking place near Bushland, and we'll give you a preview in our next report. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The spring sweet onion harvest has begun, and watermelon harvest will start soon in the Rio Grande Valley. Jim Hearn has an update from Extreme South Texas. After a record-breaking 2020 hurricane season, it looks like 2021 will be the sixth consecutive above-average year. This year, weather experts are telling us 17 named storms, eight hurricanes, four of those major hurricanes, and that would be a Category 3 or higher. Now, with Hurricane Hannah fresh in everybody's mind in the valley, it doesn't take a major storm to cause catastrophic damage. The 2021 season will start on June 1st. Now, the harvest of the spring sweet onions has begun. It was feared the Valentine freeze would lead to an abundance of seed stems in the fields, but it looks like that's not going to be the case. The onion crop is one of the best we've had in years for size and quality. The only problem is that labor has been scarce, and there may not be enough harvesters to get the crop in. Now, in the shortage of labor, if that's affecting onions, the watermelon harvest is just right behind us. Now, reservoir levels at Falcon continue to decrease. Currently, the lake level at 22% of capacity. Amistad Reservoir doing a little better. It's still declining, but 53% capacity there. Much of the water, though, is kept at Amistad because the reservoir there is deeper, and they lose less of that to evaporation. Row crops continue to make good progress. Much of the corn, milo, and cotton had to be replanted after the freeze. Crops are basically in all stages of growth, and many cotton producers, of course, are remembering Hurricane Hannah that destroyed 92% of their cotton crop last season. This year may be another late cotton season, although growers are pushing their fields to the max. This is Jim Hearn reporting from the Rio Grande Valley for Texas Ag Today. The latest World Agricultural Supply and Demand Report projects near-record crops and demand. Michael Clements has the details from Washington. The May WASDE report sets the tone for the new marketing year crop expectations, according to American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Neview, who says the report offers the first look at supply and demand expectations. This is the highlight of the spring USDA reports as it incorporates the farmer planning decisions from the March Perspective Planning Report and adapts supply estimates to reflect weekly planning progress reports. The big story leading up to this report we've seen is the rising prices due to increased global demand for U.S. commodities. Neview says USDA projects corn production at 14.9 billion bushels, up 800 million bushels from the old crop. This is just second behind the 2016 production when U.S. corn farmers produced just over 15.1 billion bushels. For soybeans, USDA is projecting new crop at 4.4 billion bushels, and it's projecting total supplies to decline about 130 million bushels from the current marketing year. There are still quite a few folks out there who think that we are going to see higher acres in the June acreage report that's released next month, as we've seen prices continue higher following when farmers responded to those March surveys. This month, USDA estimates 
one corn exports to be a record 2.7 billion bushels and expects tight supplies. For new crop corn, USDA projects ending stocks will rise about 250 million bushels to 1.5 billion. That's quite a bit more than most traders were anticipating, and that's helped to drive some of this pullback in markets that we've been seeing. For new crop beans, USDA projects soybean ending stocks will rise to 140 million bushels. The old crop bean stocks to use ratio came in at 2.6%, and the new crop is projected at 3.2%. Learn more at fb.org slash market intel. From Washington, I'm Michael Clements for Texas Ag Today. There's good news for fish farmers across Texas impacted by winter storm Yuri. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And a group of Texas A&M AgriLife faculty is trying to support rural large animal veterinarians. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. A group of Texas A&M AgriLife faculty is establishing a rural veterinary network to help make rural large animal practices sustainable. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has the details. Dr. Tom Hargrove with Texas A&M indicates that many large animal practices are operated by older vets and younger veterinarians are focusing on pet care because it's more lucrative. And although Dr. Hargrove is correct, small animal practice is not only more lucrative, but it is much less physically demanding and less demanding on the veterinarian's time. After all, there are no emergency clinics for large animals. So that means the vet has to be on call 24 hours a day and seven days a week. A lot of the problem with large animal practice is many producers use vets in a fire engine manner only on emergencies. And this is no longer practical. The goal is to show producers that veterinarians can help add profits to their operation by developing a comprehensive herd health program. Dr. Hargrove indicates the vet can focus on stocking rates, forage, and herd management rather than just calling the vet periodically to deliver a calf. Dr. Ron Gill is another extension livestock specialist, and he indicates studies have shown that veterinarians can make producers money by working with them to develop vaccination and nutritional programs. However, if ranchers do not start using vets in this manner, no vets will be available to deliver those calves or perform C-sections in the middle of the night. The program will provide mentoring for rural vets with experienced practitioners and will have monthly discussions about unusual cases to help new practitioners. These large animal practitioners are critical to our food supply and are usually the first line of defense against contagious livestock diseases. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There's good news for Texas fish farmers impacted by winter storm Uri. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife reports. Nearly three months after winter storm Uri dealt a heavy blow to the Texas redfish industry, fish farmers finally received word Thursday that they are now eligible for disaster assistance through USDA's Emergency Assistance for Livestock, Honeybees, and Farm-Raised Fish program. Brandon Bowers, owner of Texas Mariculture near Palacios, lost more than 400,000 pounds of red drum or redfish due to the freeze. 
He said the dramatic changes in temperature were no match for the equipment that they brought in to protect their farm-raised fish. That, combined with having to sit on some inventory due to COVID restrictions, could have forced some farmers to close their operations. Because not only was the current crop of marketable fish lost, the majority of the next crop was lost. COVID really magnified this issue because we sat on so much inventory. And because we lost all the revenue for three or four months prior, that was when we took the significant hit. The fish losses didn't just impact the farmers who raised them. Bauer said it also threatened restaurants and consumers. Red fish or red drum are no longer commercially fished. That was banned back in the 80s. This impacts all consumers. The sources of red drum come from your local fishermen. So if you personally want to go out and catch a fish, a red drum, then yes, you're more willing to do that, right? You're more than able to do that. Then the other two sources that you have is really imports, and then you have the U.S. farm-raised product. More than 95% of the U.S. farmed redfish population was lost during the winter storm. Fish raisers may start applying for aid at their FSA offices starting June 1st. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Cotton and grains continued to lose ground on Friday while the cattle markets closed mixed. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Well, we wrapped up a crazy week in the agricultural markets on Friday. The last half of the week was especially crazy with the big drop that we saw in grain prices led lower by the corn market. That was definitely the case on Friday. And it was once again a head scratcher. Normally, when you see corn prices go lower, that helps cattle prices. That wasn't necessarily the case on either Thursday or Friday. Here's a rundown on how we finished up the markets on Friday. We'll start with live cattle. We were lower. June down 30 cents, 115.30. August live cattle down 57, 118.82. The October down 80 cents, 123.25. We did see a bit of a bump in feeder cattle, but not much. May feeders up 10 cents, 137.55. August feeders up 65 at 151.15. September feeder cattle up 70 cents, 152.67. Cash fed cattle market fairly quiet to wrap up the week. Light sales. We saw live prices ranging from 119 to 121. Dress sales up north, 191 to 192. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Let's head to Southwest Livestock Exchange, Uvalde. Talk to Klein Spear. They own and manage Southwest Livestock. Klein, how did the cattle sale go this last Thursday? We had a good run, Larry. We had 568 head, a few more than we expected. Everybody got some good rain, so we figured we'd have a little less this week. But overall, we had a good run. The cows were in good demand on anything kind of replacement type. Everybody got a little rain, and a few guys over east find some cows. And the cows we had on hand today were really good quality on them. I mean, with the pressure from the corn market, I thought we got along pretty good. The 
Number one choice steers, dollar thirty, dollar fifty. Lightweights, dollar fifty to dollar seventy. Choice heifers, ninety five to dollar twenty five. The lighter heifers, dollar twenty to dollar forty. Crossbred steers, dollar twenty to dollar fifty. Lightweights, dollar forty five to a dollar seventy. The crossbred heifers, ninety five to a dollar ten. And the lightweights, dollar twenty to a dollar forty. Good stalker cows on the way in end of them, sixty five to ninety. The good packer bulls, eighty to ninety. The breaker cows were sixty to seventy two today. The cutters and canners, fifty two to fifty eight. And the shelly cows were thirty five to forty two. The good pairs with some really nice young pairs today. Larry brought thousand to fourteen hundred. The kind of plainer pairs were eight to nine fifty. And the the good pregnant cows, seven fifty to twelve hundred on some good ones. So. Definitely some demand on some younger cows. People are looking, and some good quality calves are still kind of holding their own. I'd say the calf market was three to five lower this week, but everybody's just trying to shred through this and right. see where we got to be to get them on the other end. Right. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you or Justin. Call us at the office, 830-278-5621, or my cell phone's 830-591-3241. Neighbor, that's it for Walking the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. I'm your host. Good day to you. Thank you, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finished lower Friday. May hogs down 32 cents, 111.15. The June down $1.37, 108.72. Class 3 milk ended the week lower. May milk down 16 cents, 18.87. June down 22 at 19.40, 100 weight. The weather forecast looks like we may get more beneficial rain across Texas over the coming week. However, that was seen as very bearish for the cotton market. July cotton dropping 255 points, 82.43. The October down 227, 81.61. December cotton dropping 208 at 81.22. The corn market saw another huge drop on Friday, and again, it kind of baffled analysts. When you look at the fundamental factors, it actually looks fairly bullish for the corn market. We've seen prices run up over the last couple of weeks over dry weather concerns in Brazil. That's still the case. That has not gone away. China has been in the market purchasing U.S. corn, another bullish factor. But after that supply and demand report on Wednesday, we closed sharply lower for both Thursday and Friday. We wrapped up Friday with May corn down 34 cents, 6.85 a bushel. September corn dropped 20 cents to close at 5.63. Fortunately for the wheat market, that pressure did not spill over. We ended up closing mixed with July Kansas City wheat unchanged, 6.57 and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up five and three quarters, 707 and a quarter. In the energy markets, June natural gas unchanged, 296. June crude oil up $1.58, 65.40 a barrel. The financial markets higher Friday. The Dow up 376 points, 34,397. The Nasdaq up 304 at 13,429. The SP 500 up 62 points at 4,174. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us, and don't forget, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin, and I'll see you next time right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com.
Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.